Hey guys, Joe here with a quick announcement before we start this month's podcast. Just to let everyone know, we did record this one back on the 7th of May, but it did take me a little while to do the editing, so it's taken a a couple of weeks for us to actually post it. So if it seems like we're talking about stuff that's in the past, well, that's because it is. Anyway, hope you enjoy the show, and I'll talk to you later. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Massive Attack Podcast. I'm your host for the night, or the day, whenever you're listening, Mitch, and with me as always is Joe. Hey Mitch, how you going? I'm good. Great, in fact, actually. Can I ask why? Well, why are you so good? I think it's because I saw the Avengers. Both of us have seen the Avengers, and both of us have got a lot we want to talk about about the Avengers, and we figured we may as well. Avengers aside, we've had a few other little excursions, which we'll cover in a little bit, but just in the meantime, what have we been up to? Well, I've been gushing about the Avengers, but like you said, we'll talk about that later. I have been playing a little bit of the Xbox, trying to get back into that. Yeah. I have, because I have been playing too much Borderlands. There is such a thing. And I found myself playing it whenever I had a spare moment to game. It's just like, I'll just whack Borderlands in again. And I realised that's not good. And I was having some anxiety dreams, which is not good. So, well, not just anxiety dreams, Borderlands anxiety dreams, not good at all. So I thought I'd whack in Thor in preparation for the Avengers. The Thor game, the much maligned, the much panned, the badly reviewed Thor game. Because I do buy all the games based on comics, if I can. And either I don't game enough, so therefore I don't think it's that bad, or it's not as bad as people are saying it's not great there are much better games out there don't get me wrong but i don't think it's as bad as people have been saying well it's kind of touted as being a god of war clone and you've never actually played the god of war game so maybe to my advantage yeah so therefore i'm not you did play dante's inferno which is probably the best god of war clone out there okay did you find that the thor game kind of flowed the way it's a lot less than Dante's. Dante's got a lot more going on as far as moves and the attacks and things like yep. that. You've got a lot more going on with Dante's and storyline-wise a bit more open. Thor is a little bit more repetitive. And it doesn't it's, really follow the story of the movie either. That's well, kind of a prequel. Yeah. Because the movie would make a very terrible game. <laughs> not a, not a lot happens in the movie really to make for a game. The big ending might be a good one. It's one thing. Yeah, well, that's true. He hits it with a hammer. That's it. <laughs> That's true. Well, that's the story of Thor, though, isn't it? He hits it with a hammer. Yeah, but in the game he hits a lot of things. A lot of frost giants. And can you upgrade your hammer? You can. Yeah. You get, like, wind attacks or thunder attacks or lightning attacks, and you can choose which ones you want to configure. I don't configure it. I'm not very good at that whole configuring thing. I just like hitting things a lot. Push A for hit, and I'm pretty happy with that. So, for me, it's okay. I am getting kind of frustrated with some of the gameplay. Like, it's a bit repetitive or it's a bit long. But it it looks nice enough. And, like I said, I'll buy most, if not all, comic-based games. Yeah. So, it was a nice lead into the Avengers. And let me tell you, after seeing the Avengers movie, I came home, I want to play Thor! I want to play Thor! So... Yes. But then you've also got the Captain America game sitting there. In your That's pile. waiting yes. to, um, to play. So I'm about three quarters of the way through Thor, according yep. to the FAQs. Because yes, I'm using the FAQs to get through because it's not good enough to do it on my own. I'm not good enough and the game's not good enough for me to trundle through it. Well, that's good. Mm. I might have to borrow that off you once you finish it. Sure. 
So have you been playing anything? Well, I haven't really been playing much except Borderlands. And I noticed the other day that my timer on Borderlands had actually clocked over nine hours now. So nine days. Sorry, nine days. Yes. Yes. And a friend of mine was talking about how he's put 176 hours into Skyrim. And I was like, oh, 176 hours? What were you doing? And then I realised that I've put like 216 hours into Borderlands. So yes, I'm not going to throw stones. No. But yeah, I've been playing a little bit of Borderlands. I've been playing a little bit of the new tables on Pinball Effects that I mentioned on the last episode. But other than that, I haven't been playing a lot of Xbox. I've mainly been playing the good old freebie games on, on the iPad. Yeah, um, such as? Well, they've just released... Oh, they haven't just released. They've just done an upgrade to uh, Jetpack Joyride, which was a free game that came out probably last year, I think, when it first had a bit of a buzz. And that was a good game. It, it did get rather repetitive but they've now done an upgrade also for free which is good that gives you gadgets and you can now have like a coin magnet on your little jetpack dude or you've got so this game basically it's a left to right scroller where the guy is constantly momentum you don't control his forward momentum but when you touch the screen he goes up yeah pretty much you tap the screen to set off his joypad his jetpack and so you just got to keep him away from obstacles hover over buzzers and watch out for like electrocuting things and and you just get upgrades. Yeah, basically you get upgrades as vehicles you can get. One of the uh, the new upgrades you can buy in the uh, the update that came through is actually you can start in a vehicle rather than just starting with your, your jetpack. And the thing is, I've got it too, and I found it addictive for a while. The problem with these sort of games is the same as Temple Run, is once you get okay at it, to get a better score on it, it's all about going further or longer. Yeah. And once you start getting good at them, it's actually a couple of minute game, and you think... Well, that's a pretty good time. You might have a dream run and you go for a couple of minutes and you go, I've got to go longer than that to yep. beat that. I, can't, I don't know if I could be bothered again. Yeah. And it sort of like stops you coming back. So it sounds like they've done a good idea by upgrading, giving you something new, giving you a reason to go back because I haven't touched the game for a month. Yeah, I noticed that because I beat your highest distance the other day and I was like, oh, Mitch hasn't done that for a while. But mm. yeah, it's good. Another game that I did buy on the iPad and it was actually a paid one. I got the freebie and enjoyed it so much I bought the, the paid one is Draw Racer 2 HD, which is quite an interesting concept. Basically, it's a top-down view of a racetrack and you trace around the track with your finger and then your car follows the line that you've traced. So basically, you know, you do your, your nice little tight corners and wide out in out of the corners and into the straights and stuff and the car then animates and follows where you've traced around the track but the actual joy comes into it it not only follows where you've traced but you accelerate by drawing faster around the track so you like flick your finger really quickly on the straights to go as fast as you can on the straights and then you slow down into the corners and you know meticulously draw around the corner I mean, instead of just being ports of normal games onto iPads, it sounds like people are actually using the technology finally. Yeah. They're start really starting to capitalise on the touchscreen and reinvent gaming to a point where it's exactly. like, this is new. Well, it, it's made by Red Links, who also did Trials HD and the new Trials Evolution on Xbox. And the graphics on it are just really, really crisp. It's The car itself is probably no more than a centimetre long. And it's a top view down on your car. As I said, you start off tracing around the track you start off with you against one car and then your second race is you against two cars and then your final race in each each track is you against three cars and it gives you like a boost you can do every now and then and it's it, it, it there's a bit of strategy to it it's like 
knowing when to boost and again it's like super addictive i think it was 299 which is one of the more pricier ipad apps considering no well considering most of the ones that we normally play are free but i think graphically it's worth it but it does have that microtransaction thing that i'm not a big fan of it's kind of like you'll do the race and if you can't do the race it's like well why don't you go and buy the supercar for five ninety nine, and then you'll probably win this race? And it's like like five dollars ninety nine. Yeah, five dollars ninety nine. And they still pay for it. they charge the app, and then they do that. Okay. Yeah, which is a bit crap. But I guess people I out there are doing it, and that's I mean, how they make their money. You buy. I paid thirty dollars for Thor or something, or twenty dollars for Thor. Well, true. It's technically cheaper, and you're probably getting more enjoyment out of the night. <laughs> well, it's funny because speaking of microtransactions in free games, they're like on the Xbox. They came out with Crimson Alliance sort of September time last year, I think it was. And that's kind of like a Diablo sort of gauntlet sort of clone. And the premise that they gave with that was it was a free game if you wanted it to be a free-play game, or you could pay 800 Microsoft points to buy the character class and then you got achievements for it. So if you played the free version, you didn't actually get achievements and you couldn't customise your character and stuff like that. But if you paid the Microsoft points, you you had the ability to change the colour of your costume and, and stuff like that. And... They, they suckered me in with, instead of paying 800 points a character class, you could get all three character classes for 1,200 points at one stage. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to play and I may as well buy it. Mm-hmm. But then the first thing you notice when you're, when you're in that game is you collect in-game gold and you use that to buy better weapons and better magic. But when you first go to the store, you can buy 40,000 gold for like 4.99 real money. And it's like, well, that's the first time I've actually seen microtransactions like that in an Xbox game. Uh, you'll probably see a lot more of it. Well, yeah, unfortunately, I think we will. As long as it keeps the price down, maybe it could be good. Well, there are good free games. Age of Empires Online for PC was a free game with premium content. And mm. I guess if you want to just give it a try, it's it's a fun real-time strategy game that you can play quite easily. Is there such a, a thing game. as a fun real-time strategy game? <laughs> well, the thing is, though, if you like real-time strategy, for a lot of people, real-time strategy is not their genre of choice. But I must admit, I've never actually played one, so uh-huh. therefore that's why it looks like it's too slow to me. I don't understand. Well, real-time strategy is better than turn-based strategy games because I find those Even far too slow. Those, yeah. Give me zombies to shoot, I think. Yeah, yeah. Age of Empires Online, it's free to play, or you can spend quite a bit of money to buy premium classes, which I have, unfortunately. But yeah, that, that still gets a bit of a run every now and then when I'm on the PC. So you have a problem with in-game transactions as long as you... If it doesn't appeal to you. But if it's something you want, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, no. It's, I guess I, I've never fallen into the trap of playing Farmville. So I don't really understand the, you know, it takes you 24 hours before you can go and harvest your next piece of fruit or whatever. But if you pay us a dollar now, you can go and do it straight away. Yeah, no, that sounds scary. Yeah, very scary. Well, speaking of free things... Yes, we um, had an excursion. We, we did. We, we had another not, excursion. Most people hang out, but with this podcast, we have excursions. We do have excursions. So, yes, yeah. We ventured in on the, the first Saturday of May around the world for all participating comic shops is Free Comic Book Day. Do you think the people in Mexico were a little bit torn with their religions? Whether they were like Cinco de Mayo, Cinco de Mayo or, or Free Comic Book well, Day? Well, what is Cinco de Mayo? Exactly. Fifth of May. Yes. <laughs> but what do they do? Is it, a, is it a religious day or is it like is it a public holiday? So the comic shops aren't open? I'm really not sure. 
Well, if it is... Is it, it Mexican Halloween or is that something completely No, that, that's a sex act. <laughs> no, isn't it they're like Independence Day? Which probably yeah. means it probably is a public holiday, so therefore the comic shops probably aren't open. That would be a pain. But they could just open on the Sunday. But anyway, enough about our Mexican friends. Mm. So, yes. It was... Please, any Mexican listeners, write in and explain Cinco de Mayo to us. Or next episode, we may do some research. Maybe we will. Yeah, so it was an initiative brought in about... I'm going to make it pull a number out here about seven years ago maybe could be either way essentially it was the a couple of comic companies got together and said let's give a free comic to the comic shops to give away it all was banked on how many orders they did of comics and how much they got to give away so I think from memory it was like maybe six or seven comic companies got together so it was Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, Archie and things like that and they always they bought out a few books and you go in there and you get one comic and anyone who walked into a comic shop that day would get a comic so yep. I'd always take my wife in to make sure you I got an extra one. And I'd tell her which one I wanted when they asked her which one to give her. And you get one comic. And it's gotten bigger and bigger. Now, I used to go to the Comics R Us and Alternate Worlds in Melbourne. They were like a block from each other on Chapel Street. And you'd go to one and get some, and then you'd go to the other shop and get some more, and it was all good. And I didn't know what the city stores were doing, but they started wearing outfits. Now, the thing with Alternate Worlds, they were always too cool for that. So they just had giveaways. But Comics R Us, the staff there, and they'd get some regular customers to dress up as well. So you'd have Batman and Spider-Man and Stormtroopers standing in the front. Yeah. And it was kind of cool, and people would come in, and it's quite funny sometimes, because you go in and there's no hook. It's you go in and get a free comic. That's the deal. There is. It rewards the comic shops for their support, and it creates a day for people to go in and get it. And obviously, they are, they are teaser comics in a way. They want people to come back. So yeah. it's, it's good well, for everybody. Really, it's just an encouragement for people to come back into their local comic store. Because I know I haven't really been to a comic store on my own for quite a while. I've been a few times with you. Mm. and I don't Before think my wedding for photos. Exactly. Which but, is pretty sad, but we won't go into that. Yeah, I don't think I've really gone into a comic shop and actually bought a comic for quite a long time. Still haven't. <laughs> That's true. Um, but I was I was quite impressed with just the, the numbers of people that were at All Star Comics in Melbourne. Well, All Star's a new Saturday comic morning. shop, so it was quite funny that Alternate Worlds closed its store in Chapel Street and opened up in by Morris or oh, they got one in Ringwood now or something. Yeah, sort of out really out far out of away from us. But All Star started around the same time that that moved, so there was this sort of transition, and All Star's really set itself up as the cool. That's where the cool kids go to buy comics. And yeah. They have a lot of events. They'll have signings. They'll have launches. And it's, it's great. They put on beer. They put on, you know, themed cookies, like Captain America Shield cookies and things like that. It's awesome. It's really cool. So we decided to go there Saturday. We didn't. We just arrived at 11 thinking it started at, or opened at 10. We didn't really think about it terribly well. Well, at all. Yeah. And needless to say, there, it's it's... It's a hard-to-find comic shop, this one. You've got to go up a lift to the first floor to get to it. Well, the trouble with comic so, shops in Melbourne is none of them really are street-level comics. The Minotaur, for a while, had their own separate comic shop to their normal store. But from, from memory, most of the comic shops that have been in Melbourne CBD have always been... Like either underground no, just, I think comics are or... limited money yeah. and CBD rent is big. Yeah, so exactly. you've got to take your second story or your, or your alleyway or... or something. But yeah, all-star comics are So we turn upstairs. up and there's a queue, you know, and you're sort of like seeing people standing around. There's a guy in a striped top and a fake Sandman cleaved hand. 
It looks like he's made out of a shoebox. There's a couple of Batmans, a couple of kids in Superman outfits. So I was like, that, yeah, we're in the right spot. That guy had his green jeans and orange T-shirt. It was obviously trying to be Aquaman. It was a very good Aquaman. It's it's casual I've Aquaman. seen someone dressed as Aquaman, actually. There's a few fans of us yeah. out there. I'm one of them. Not dressed up as him, but... He didn't have a beard, though, so he was obviously classic Aquaman. He was. Still had two hands. And a trident. Yeah, there was people that were making the effort, and obviously the staff themselves were dressed up, and you know know a couple of the staff personally, and they'd rope their girlfriends in to dress up as well, which was kind of nice. So Catwoman was there giving out cake pops the minute you came in the door. Yes, cake pops, which you needed, because once you got in the door, there was a queue. Now... Oh, what do you say the store is 20 feet long yeah. that snaked three times it's around it's not a big store yeah so it, literally the queue snaked three times around and then around a corner to get your free comics and like I said before it used to be one comic now that there's I think there's something like 20 something comics now different companies giving out a free comic and also the fact is every year they're getting these bundles of free comics to give away they don't give them all away so they've sort of got a backlog of old ones as well so every free comic book day a lot of shops trawl out the old last year's free comic book day and give them away too so there was two tables with comic boxes on them full of comics and the back wall was plastered with you can have two from this row and three from this section and one in this and you walked away I think I walked away with ten comics and I I could have got more he said do you want anything else and I'm saying no that should do me yeah it was kind of surprising because the minute we walked in we got our cake pop and they also gave us a menu that basically had a list of comics and it was kind of like well these are the comics and I said, I've never been to one of these things before. I've never so seen it like, like this before. Oh, do we get to pick one? And one from each section, I yeah, thought. Because there were still three sections. And it's like, I didn't know what it meant. But in the end, it was pretty much whatever you wanted, they'd yeah, give exactly. it to Yeah, exactly. It was a couple from this section, a couple from that section. And the staff were all very friendly. It's a great shop. All-Star yeah, Comics it is, is a good shop. Good shop and, and I was happy. And, I mean, it was early in the day, so everyone still buzzed. And the fact that it was so pumping and vibey with that many people, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and some of the comics... You nearly got into a fight, but that's all right. I wouldn't say I nearly got into a fight. I'm just not a fan of queue jumpers. Yeah, well... I was being nice and said, Dude, there's a queue. And then you arced up. I didn't arc (laughs) up. You did. Said, oh, we all had to wait. (laughs) Well, that being said, it was a 45-minute wait from us walking in the store to getting to the front of the line. And he wasn't douche, no. He was. He had green hair. And he wasn't (laughs) even in costume. He just had green hair. Yeah. Either that or he was dressed as a very convincing douche costume because he looked like a douche. But anyway, we, as I said, we came away with some good comics. I haven't had a, a real chance to read all of mine yet, but I... Admittedly, you got most of them for your son. Well, yeah, I thought maybe we could pick up a few, like a Yo Gabba Gabba comic for my four-year-old, but I showed him and he was kind of like, yeah, whatever, Dad. What else did we get? We got the, the Bongo comic, which was kind of good and has a nice story by Sergio Aragonis in it. It's kind of autobiographical about how he first started drawing comics back in Mexico. Sergio is amazing. And, and he did a comic called Grid the Wanderer for years. Which I read a lot of in high school. So, yeah, it was good to see some of his artwork again. I also picked up The Guild because, you know, I was a fan of their little web series, but I'd never actually seen the comic. And it wasn't really what I was expecting. But, you know, it was, it was fun enough. Mitch is just looking at the pile we've got here. It's like, what else have we got? Atomic Robo. Was, it's a great uh, read. If you like yeah. Hellboy, um, Atomic Robo's sort of like the science version to Hellboy's magic and fable. Quite funny. If anyone wants to try something different than isn't superheroes, but with a good sense of humour, I can recommend Atomic Robo. And did you manage to pick up, uh, was it Dinosaurs vs. Aliens? I did. You I did, did pick it up? I haven't it? read it yet, but yeah. I did, which was written by Grant Morrison, who's like one of the it writers of comics at the moment. You did actually manage to pick up a couple of comics to buy while you were there as well, didn't you? I did. 
Was it Dial H for Hero? I did, yeah, which is um, China Mailville, which is a very well-regarded sci-fi spec fic author in the industry. And this is his first foray into comics. But it's, a, it's an old concept for comic. The Dial H for Hero has been around for a very long time. It doesn't last very long whenever they reboot it, but it's this interesting concept where basically you have a, a telephone and anyone who dials into that telephone, the name Hero, will get a superpower that gets random. You don't know what it's going to get, so okay. it's sort of recurring characters. So yeah, it's this fat slob who used to be kind of kind of fit and a boxer, but he's let himself go, he's lost his woman and all this, and... He's a smoker and, yeah, his friend's being beat up by some thugs and he, you know, randomly hits some numbers in the telephone box and becomes Chimney Boy, this guy okay. who has smoke powers. And then later on he figures out what the machine does and he does again. He gets another power where he, becomes, he, he feeds, he gets power on people's sadness. So what he does is he can tap into people's innermost sadness and they become quivering messes remembering this bad time and he becomes more powerful. So oh, okay. it's a random sort of, very Vertigo, if you know Vertigo comics, it's sort yeah. of in that, it's not a horror comic, but it's on a darker side of things. Yeah. So it could be interesting. I'm, I'll stick with it. It's it's first issue and I'll give it at least four and see if it goes anywhere. But it's sort of tough. I've been such a trade reader lately. Yeah, I mean, and the thing with trades is a lot of comic writers are writing for trades, so therefore they'll write six issues worth of story. Yep. Yeah, it might continue, but you sort of get a a finish enough yeah, at, get, that, well, at the end of that six issues. Reading those two trades, it's very much six issues, a little story arc, and then yep. the next trade starts up with you know a bit of a new character and new new story. New plot. Yeah, so it's sort of I was because comics get cancelled, they don't go or quality drops off I've been waiting for a lot more trades and because trades are easier to lend to people they're easier to put on a bookshelf I've been liking buying trades so for the last three years I've probably been ramping up my trades and buying a lot less actual single issue comic but I'm finding I'm buying a lot of trades and as I've said in episode one they sit on my coffee table unread because there is no urgency to read them so I'm kind of tempted to go back to reading going back to issues again I see it more as a waste of money because you're paying five bucks a pop for this, you know, yep. pamphlet, essentially. Yeah, exactly. um, you don't get to see the ads in a trade. No. Although the ads are kind of nice sometimes. Well, the ads you get aren't as good as they used to be. No, like, the ads are a I bit remember. more repetitive if you read a lot of comics and yeah. the same ads. When I was a kid, though, I remember the, that sea back monkeys. page and Sea Monkeys and the X-ray glasses and Hammer Fists and it stuff was, like I, that. I do love it because there were a lot of things we never got here. Yeah. Were like computer game ads that we never got. There were toys that we never got. So it was kind of cool. Bo Jackson got milk ads. No one really knew who Bo Jackson was in Australia, but you know, he's a yeah, so all that, superstar. That is kind of cool, but now you know everything's got a website on that. If yeah, you don't exactly. know what it is anyway, which you or know most stuff. Or a anyway. Twitter hashtag or something like that. Yeah, so I was sort of like, oh, there's nothing exotic anymore. There's yeah. nothing that's un- unobtainable. Yeah, so I'm so kind of tempted to go back to reading comics because to bring that immediacy back, because yeah. when I'm reading something that's six months old, whenever I get a trade, it's six months old. So exactly. I can't get excited and say, oh, have you read this? And another one goes, yeah, I read it six months ago. Yeah. So well, it's One thing that I've just started reading in issues, and I know you've read issue one, is Brian K. Vaughan's new series, Saga. Yes. Like, I've read the first two issues of that now, in issues. And yeah, I'm, I'm buying that. I've got yeah, the I must issue. say that that's something that, as soon as I heard it was coming out, I thought, 
I've got to read this, I can't wait. And so far, just by the first two issues, I'm really glad I've been reading it. The way it's going, the quality of the first issue, and everyone's saying issue two's as good, so I'm assuming oh, this is... Issue two for me was a lot better than oh, issue one. there you go. So it's going to be something worth buying as a trade later. Yeah. So I'm going to end up probably spending more by doubling up doubling on anything up, that's yeah. good. Well, I've been reading them digitally, so that's probably a good thing. And then when the trade comes out, like your Why the Last Man collection, it might be something to, to show off on your bookshelf. That'll be a beautiful looking hardcover. Yeah, it's really, really nicely drawn. Brian K. Vaughan's writing is just as good as it ever was. Like, Why the Last Man was a a great series. And I haven't read much of his other stuff. And I know he did go out and do some TV writing. Was it Lost that he Lost he went on to? Yeah, basically on the strength of Why the Last Man and Ex Machina. Got poached by Hollywood and he wrote for Lost for a while. And, like, Why the Last Man and Ex Machina have both been tossed around Hollywood to be made into movies and TV series and things like that. And we all thought we'd lost one of the greater writers at the moment to Hollywood. Yeah. But he sort of came back to comics and it was basically, I think, and he's and he's said about this new comic saga, which is it's about an alien, alien races that are star-crossed lovers. It's Romeo and Juliet meets... Yeah, it's, it's, kind it's of Romeo hard to and Juliet. It's not just two families feuding it's basically two races on separate planets yeah there's a there's a planet with a race on it which is dominant and then there's a moon which is another race and they're more subservient but there's a civil war between them but they've roped in other alien races to fight for them and And there's robots and there's royalty there's so many concepts thrown in and it's all very early stages obviously there is a well-fleshed out story in his brain yeah and we're not selling it at all here terribly well it's just really well done he is one of the best writers in comics and he, the way he wrote this he goes this is not to be made into a movie this is not to be made to see it can't yeah. be done this is a comic it, yeah, it exactly. exists it's to be a comic comics. and i'm writing this as a comic so it's published through image which is essentially it's just glorified not glorified because it's a lot better than that but uh self-published company so you essentially you make all the money you put in all that image do they'll take a cut and they'll distribute for you it's very much like an indie book though isn't it i can't really see that dc or marvel would put out a book like this Um, dc with vertigo maybe probably good like dial h for hero was almost hedging in that sort of yeah balance probably Kind of similar in look and feel to Animal Man, really. The current yeah, series true. Animal Man is quite crazy and good, very recommendable. Recommendable. And I suppose the thing is, Marvel would publish it if they could get Brian K. Vaughan on the books. Yeah, they would exactly. say, yeah, we'll do this under our Icon imprint, which is Marvel started the Icon imprint when they lost John Romita Jr. Because he's a famous Marvel artist. Like his, his dad, John Romita, was pretty much the Spider-Man artist of the 60s. Yeah. So his son grew up at Marvel and he's one of the current it artists at Marvel so you don't see him they don't want to see him anywhere else and he had a creator own with another guy called Grey Matter and it was published through Image at one point and that's when Marvel realised what are we doing why are we losing our talent to someone else exactly and they had people like Brian Bendis Brian Michael Bendis on the books with his book Powers and a few other people and they thought what, what are we doing why are we potentially missing out here we've got to keep our creators happy yeah. so they created an imprint called Icon which is their creator-own imprint in Marvel. So it's got no Marvel banner head. It's just got Icon. But it keeps their talent happy. They still get their creator-own. They got the rights to it. They get the money. But Marvel still keeps them in the in-house. So I'm sure they would be throwing... Everyone would have been throwing money at Brian K. Vaughan as yeah, to exactly. what to do. But the image was probably the best deal. And he can make what he wants. No editorial control. Yeah. But Kick-Ass from uh, Mark Miller, which is very violent, very, you know, non-PC, that was produced through Marvel technically in the Icon imprint. Well, that's true. Well, 
We mentioned the fact that they were thinking of making Why the Last Man into a movie. And before we talk about the biggest comic book movie this year, you've actually seen another comic book movie. I did. I, I sucked it up and I watched The Spirit. Now, I did it the way it was meant to be watched, on my monitor on the computer while I was playing computer <laughs> games, because I think that's how Frank Miller, the director, wanted it. And I think that's all it deserved, to be honest. Yes. I, I haven't seen it, but I've seen some of the clips from it. And following on from Sin City a couple of years before that, it kind of had that sort of similar feel. Oh, it definitely to it. looked like Sin City. It, it felt like Sin City. Thing is, Sin City is Frank Miller's comic that he co-directed with Robert Rodriguez. Yes. And it's pretty much used his comic and style, which is very black and white, silhouette, sort of stark, no shading, just stark black and white. Splashes of red every now and then. It, it used that look exactly for the comic and it worked really well and it looked good and that's because Rodriguez is a very good director Frank Miller's got great artistic style in his comics he's a good he's a fun writer they even turned 300 after Sin City they turned 300 which is another one of his comics again pretty much used the his books as the storyboards for the comics yeah and it translated again well to movies and they thought yeah this guy's shit hot let's make him do the spirit the problem being The Spirit is a comic that's been around for a long time. Will Eisner created this way back in the 40s. He's been doing it forever. It's got a unique style and look to it. Will Eisner is a freaking genius. And Frank Miller was actually a friend of his. There's actually a book out there called Eisner and Miller, and it's conversations between the two. I haven't read it, but apparently what those two don't know about comics isn't worth knowing. It's a very good book. So Will Eisner died a couple of years ago, and they were going to make this movie. And then Frank Miller's like oh, no way anyone else can make this movie. Only I can because I don't want anyone else to fuck it up. It's like, well, all right, that's good because you fucked it up. (laughs) No one else fucked it up. You did. There's a very distinct style. It's quite cartoony, the comic, but the artwork's quite realistic compared to a lot of other stuff that was around at the time. But it was quite jokey and fun, cartoony, like if someone hit a wrench over someone's head, it would bend around their head kind of thing. So there were those sort of elements in it because it's a comic with a humour to it, even though it is about a... Not an undead, but everyone thinks he's dead, so he plays on that being a, the spirit. Yep. So he gets around in a blue suit, tie, red mask, and goes around and punches people. He's an ex-cop who everyone thinks he's dead, and he goes around and fights bad guys. So is it still set sort of in the 30s and 40s? Or is it well, set in modern times? Because the thing is, the movie doesn't. They've got mobile phones. Got... Oh, okay, because the, the clips I've seen, the it look looks, of it, It's got the style, the fashion, all these still things. still wearing a hat, which people yeah, don't really do now. But they changed the clothes, like... Okay. They made him in a black suit with a red tie. Yeah. And it was that very Sin City thing of the splash of colour. Yeah. Even though it wasn't black and white, but it was very monotonal with the odd bits of colour here and there. So his tie always stood out. And he's running around in Converse gym boots. Oh, okay. Chuck Taylors, which is a Frank Miller thing. Like, if you read his Sin City comics, that's quite a stark visual. And it's sort of like, this isn't Will Eisner's spirit. This is Frank Miller's spirit. Like, he's got the narration going over the top, and it's very Sin City. And it's very Frank Miller. You've got the colour change. It was a blue suit and a red mask. Now it's a black mask, black hat with a red tie. And so I'm like, why that change? Visually, maybe a bit different. It's universally panned, this movie. It's terrible. And there's justification for that. Visually, it's pretty amazing. Like, there's some really nice visuals to it. Like, if I didn't know the source was so screwed with... And I wouldn't be upset if the source was screwed with, but the fact that Frank Miller's a mate... Screwed with his own source. Well, yeah. So, like, you're friends with Will. And unless... He's had that many conversations with Will Eisner and this is what Will would have made today. Then maybe. But it just seems 
It wouldn't have been that hard to put him in. Well, maybe police. it was like Miller wanted to do this movie, and Eisner was always like, "You do over my dead body." <laughs> <laughs> Could be the case. Could be the case. Yeah. So um, good cast. I mean, you've got crazy visual shit going on, and it's very Frank Miller in that way as well. You've got Samuel Jackson as the villain, the octopus. And he's just wearing the most random outfits throughout. And I think, I don't know if that's Samuel being told what to do. He's saying, what do you want? Let's yeah. go nuts. He turns up in a full-on Nazi outfit at one point with swastikas behind him. No other reason. Just that was his outfit for that day and that scene. So, yeah, so it's a we- visually it's great to put on the background if you didn't really care. Like there's some nice visuals in there, but it's just strange. It, it's got the same feeling I had when the Dick Tracy movie came out. Because we had the hype. When Batman came out, it was sort of like, oh my God, they can do serious comic book movies. And then they did Dick Tracy. And the thing is, they, they acknowledged the source that this is a comic, yep. but they didn't make a good movie. It was just a lot of bad, you know, the colour source, the colour schemes and all this. It was very cartoony, but it took away from being a good film. It was just kind of dull. And this feels a lot in style and vibe and everything and pacing. It just felt very Dick Tracy, okay. which is not a compliment. No. Good cast, though. Scarlett Johansson. Well, speaking of comic book movies and Scarlett Johansson, we'll go from talking about a bad comic book movie and we'll talk about possibly the best comic book movie... We talked about Ghost Rider last time. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. Yeah, well, obviously we're talking about The Avengers. Now, we were lucky here in Australia. We did get The Avengers a couple of weeks before they did in the US. But they got an extra scene. Well, not that it really... We can get on YouTube if we really had to. Exactly. So we are going to talk a little bit now about the Avengers. We'll keep this first section pretty much spoiler-free, and then we'll give you a bit of a spoiler warning closer to the end, and we're going to talk a little bit about spoilers, and at that stage, if you don't want to know, you can switch off, but we will let you know in advance. So we mentioned in our episode where we were talking about movies we were looking forward to this year that the Avengers was quite high on our radars as far as movies that we wanted to see like you've already seen it twice now I have and it's been out less than two weeks here in Australia about two weeks three weeks is it and my wife and I went and saw it and we're very glad we did because it's good it's written and directed by Joss Whedon who has done a lot of credible things that nerds and geeks really love and from what I've heard he had a bit of a hand in Captain America yeah apparently he had a bit of a script doctory and if you watch Captain America and you hear Tommy Lee Jones's lines they just got Joss Whedon written all over it you just hear them and you go that's Joss because for those if you, you probably do he he wrote Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie which got taken out of his hands because he was you know a no Nobody name back then it. and they made a comedy movie not the tone that he'd written yeah so essentially he goes, that's not, that's not what I meant. And then he, he's probably not as well known for one of the major script writers for Toy Story. Yeah. And then he got Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show up and running, which was more in tone with what he meant. And it's a very good show. It doesn't hold up today if you've got high-def tallies because <laughs> it was filmed <laughs> in video and it looks terrible on your big telly. But it was a great show, great characters, excellent dialogue. Good story arcs that seasons had a point. Yeah. You know, and every season had a story and that paid off well. Like, how many TV shows have cliffhangers and you come back next season and they never know how to resolve them? Yeah. For the first few seasons with Buffy, he'd actually finish on the last episode as if we may not get next season, so let's at least finish the story here. Exactly. And he did really good ones up until about season five and then he started doing cliffhangers because he got guaranteed the next season. Yeah. And they were pretty good compared to other TVs. 
cliffhangers. He did a good job. But what was so strong in any of the Joss Whedon stories was the characters were strong. Yeah. They were always clever. Like, they always had the best one-liners. Yeah. And the plots were solid. And exactly. the character motivations were good. So Buffy was great, spun off in Angel, which was good as well. And you'd see, I was never a huge Angel fan, but I can see the appeal of the show. It was better than Buffy by the end. But then, for me, he went off and did his best work after Buffy is when he did Serenity and Firefly. Well, yeah, that was the thing, the sh- very short-lived Firefly, yeah. 13 episodes, but it's great and it's easy to get if people want it. DVDs out there and it's all you're going to get, unfortunately. There are comics that he writes still things like that if you want more there's more Buffy out there too which Zach Whedon which is Joss's brother is writing so yep. there's there's more in those universes if you want it so he went and did Firefly didn't make it unfortunately but luckily he got Serenity made which was a movie based on Firefly which sort of wrapped up the storylines which he would have loved to have told over the next two or three years but he had one movie to do it and it was good I think he came in on a good budget and I, I don't think it blew box office doors off anywhere but um it made money and it proved he could direct which you know tv it doesn't matter in hollywood you know it's like yeah you can direct tv but you can't make it you haven't made a motion picture so all right here's my motion picture i've done it now so from that he's done okay and then he did dollhouse for a couple of years which i didn't rate terribly well but it didn't matter but he while he was in different periods between shows he actually tied his hand to comics and he went in there and he did X-Men for a while, Astonishing X-Men, which was, at the time, awesome. Like, he did 12-odd, maybe 16 issues of X- Astonishing X-Men. Fantastic. I really was excited about X-Men for the first time in ages when he was writing that. And then he wrote some things like Runaways. So he, he's, not, he is, he's got gig credentials. And yeah. he obviously knew, mar- like, he, he hit all the right marks with Astonishing X-Men. And he has a something about strong female protagonists. Which is a good thing, yeah. Because obviously Buffy is one, and there was like two main characters throughout Buffy the seven seasons. Oh, besides Angel, who span off to his own, but yeah. there was you know Buffy was a Slayer. Then you had Willow, who was just a friend who became the most powerful. Which then you had Gloria, who was a god. Yeah. All the female characters were powerful, and he he loved that. Yeah. And Dollhouse was sort of centered around that just don't think it was executed terribly well with not the best actress. But when he got onto Astonishing X-Men, he, you know, there's so many characters to pull from. He centred it on Kitty Pride, which yep. is a small, petite sort of character. She's not big brooding. She's not powerful in what her power is to phase through things. She can go intangible, you know. Not the most powerful character to think of, but he centred it pretty much around her. Like the other characters were there and they all had their moments, but she was the grounding of the story. And it was perfect. His voice for her was great and it worked. And she's sort of just out of her teens. She's in her 20s. So she's sort of that young hipster, quirky, full of quotes, full of wit, you know, Juno sort of character. But and nowhere near as pretentious as Juno. And that's what really works for, for Josh Whedon, I guess, is the fact that he knows how to write for an ensemble cast. Mm. And he really showed that with the Avengers, that no one kind of got lost in the shuffle. No, well, apparently, because they had a few scripts running around. Because obviously leading up to this movie had Iron Man and all the other movies and they sort of sent it his way to say, all right, can you just have a look over? Because he's done script doctoring in the past and he goes, all right, this is how I do an Avengers movie and he wrote down what he'd do and they looked at it and it's like, yep, that's what you're going to do. So yeah. they hired him on the stretch. Also, Marvel are pretty tight 
when it comes to directors, you don't have Spielberg directing Iron Man. You had no. John Favreau directing Iron Man, whose biggest claim to fame was Elf. Yep. You know, so it's not like they were getting big names, but well, they, got, they got the right people. They got Kenneth Branagh to do the Thor movie. It's not like he's commanding huge dollars, though. He is a name that you wouldn't associate with a superhero. More as an movie. actor than a director. True. So Joe Johnson, who did Captain America, you know, he did The Rocketeer years ago. They're not big-name directors, so they're not expensive. Yeah. John Favreau became a bigger name because of Iron Man. Incredible Hulk couldn't even tell you who directed that. So and Lee did one of them. No, we don't talk about that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Marvel are notorious for, like, they're getting the right people. Like, John Favreau was the right director, and Robert Downey was the right actor for Iron Man. It was perfect. But it wasn't the obvious choice. Yeah. But when you look at it and came together, it was perfect. And, and again, Joss Whedon, again, he's... He's come out and he's the perfect choice because he has done the right thing by this movie. He's just gone and broken the first three-day box office records ever. So yeah. he is a big-name director now. Exactly, $195 million in three days in the US. So he's doing yeah. okay. Interesting to see how much the Australian box office was that opening weekend. I think yeah. the international, before it opened in America, was something like $400 million. Here in Australia, it opened on a Wednesday public holiday, so they would have got a lot more people on a midweek opening than they normally would have for any other time. So, yes, well, they've already got, what, two sessions out of you. We saw it in I'll be the going premiere. Again. And, yeah, I'd probably go again. I've not felt like this in a movie. Like, I've seen plenty of movies over the last 20 years, but I haven't felt this excited about a film going, that was a fun experience, I want to go back. Yeah. Since, I think, Indiana Jones 3 yeah, or Batman it, or something like that, it, like it, the Burton Batman. It was really non-stop, wasn't it? There was... There, I've, there was quiet scenes in the movie and there was slower points in the movie. But what we talked about when we saw Ghost Rider, it was like the slow points in between the action scenes just dragged in Ghost Rider. Yeah. But The Avengers was, what, two and a half hours? Two hours, 20 minutes, something and like that? And I read that. today the DVD is going to be an extra half hour longer and I don't care. Yeah. I want it. <laughs> it just, it was non-stop. And there's so much going on. Exactly. Though. I mean, there's so many characters that you don't have time. Like, it's boom, boom, boom. I could tell you now, what, there's seven characters, maybe, or five in Ghost Rider, and they're not that good. No. So they're not that interesting. Whereas, yeah, Avengers had... They had the main team of the Avengers, and they had the supporting characters, and you had your villains as well. And everyone got their moment in the sun. At least one. Yeah. If not more. And I think we're probably going to start going a little bit spoiler here, so... Well, before we go spoiler, let's just finish up with Joss. Yes. It's like, while he was doing all this, he actually went off and made a movie, a Shakespeare, I can't even remember now, but using the same crew, he, he reuses the same people a lot, yeah. through Buffy and through Dollhouse, and he actually made a little Shakespeare film in like 12 days, which will be coming out to your art house cinemas at some point, which shows he's a busy man, he, he obviously also, understands. He um, had his hand in Cabin in the Woods as well? He did, the, him and one of his top writers from Buffy co-wrote this movie, Cabin in the Woods, which America's got been and gone already, and Australia weren't going to get it at the cinemas, but there was a petition. There's the big Whedon fans out there. But got it pushed enough so the Nova in Melbourne's getting it for a limited run and the Astor's getting it for one day. Oh, okay. Um, so we're looking forward to that in yeah, like two months' time. That might be another... Massive attack excursion to go and I see that. I think so. So, yeah, that, that looks good. So, so he's, he obviously knows what he wants, and now with Avengers, he can probably do more of what he wants. And I was, my friend was telling me the other day, talking about how Marvel are tight, so they get these the right people but the cheap people to get the movie done. 
And looking back after seeing The Avengers now, it's such a big film and such a full film. Captain America feels like a TV movie leading into this. Yeah. It feels smaller, and that's no discredit to the film. It was a fun movie, but going back to watch it now, it's just like, oh, it's not big enough. But Joss, to bring him back, like, did, did he just put another zero at the end of his paycheck to come back and do Avengers 2? Or is he the kind of person who goes off and makes a little Shakespeare movie, goes off and makes Cabin in the Woods, is he going to be like a Bruce Willis to say, all right, I really want to make 12 Monkeys, yeah. so I'll make Die Hard 3 for you because I want the payday, but you've got to help me make this little film here. So I'm hoping more the case that Joss will go, yeah, I'll come back for Avengers 2, but let me make these two other projects as well. Exactly. And that's, I'm hoping that's what we're going to get. Yeah. Maybe he's, he's, got an, he's going to have more clout to make little projects and more experimental and adventurous movies but- that... Avengers wouldn't have been a cheap film to make, though. No, but they didn't spend all the money on the director. True. But because the cast would have been... Well, the cast uh, would have been pretty expensive and the effects would have been pretty expensive. It wasn't cheap, but, I mean, you really got to thank John Favreau and Robert Downey for this. Yeah, Because well, John... Iron Man set this up. If Iron Man failed, we would not have Avengers now. Yeah. And it was working. Because you don't talk about The Incredible Hulk as part of the canon leading into these movies, but it is one of the four movies leading into this thing. And it didn't do terribly well at the box office, so people don't talk about it in the same light as Iron Man or anything, but people aren't going to talk about them anymore because they're only going to talk about The Avengers, so why don't we get on to spoilering? All right, so we'll just say now we're going to talk quite a bit about spoilers so if you haven't seen the film probably stop the podcast now come back once you have or if you don't really intend to see the film and you don't mind if it's going to be spoiled listen on maybe it'll sell you on seeing it exactly we mentioned that it was an ensemble cast and we've got the big names back we've got chris hemsworth back as thor robert danny as iron man uh chris evans back as, as Captain human America. torch oh sorry yes chris evans back as captain america You've got... Scully Johansson as the Black Widow. And Jeremy Renner following on from his little five-minute scene in Thor as Hawkeye. Tom Hiddleston Hiddleston. as Loki. And obviously Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And for the third actor getting to play... The Hulk. The Hulk on the big screen. We get Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Who who, I reckon best yet. Oh, for sure. And I mean, he's used sparingly. Uh, yeah, but for me, the Hulk really did have all of the best bits of the movie. And also, last to round out the cast is Clark Gregg, who probably you won't know him as that name, because I know I didn't know that looking, but he's Agent Coulson. They, the way the setup of the movie, it followed very much on from, as we said, Iron Man, and Thor, and Captain America. We've got the main protagonist from Thor, Thor. in Loki. You've got... The Tesseract or the Power Cube, whatever you want to call Cosmic it. Cosmic Cube. Cosmic Cube, yes, from Captain, Captain America. America. And you've got Tony Stark and his Stark Industries Tower that is quite a pivotal point in the movie. Well, we're spoiling, so we know it's the yeah. power source, yes. Yes, it is the power source. You've got Gwyneth Paltrow back briefly as Pepper Potts, which is probably a good thing. Ah, she's only briefly. Pepper. She's good. But as we said before, it's like Josh Whedon's managed to have such a big cast... But every one of them got to have a pivotal scene. They all got, you know, they all got real snappy dialogue. Even the Hulk got to, he got great action scenes. Well, I mean, it's, well, let's go through. It starts off with a very big explosion. Loki turns up, kicks ass, escapes. And then it's sort of like, okay, we need to call in 
the Avengers. So next thing you know, they're ringing Black Widow in the interrogation scene. And she's all there tied up and there's three guys around her and then they get a phone call. I was like, it's for her. What? And she takes a phone call. Typical Joss Whedon. Yeah. Sort nice of like little... he does the swerve. That's what he always does. And it so wasn't a nice swerve. It was like she was interrogating them. Yeah, it's like, what are you doing? I'm up. getting all... I'm, he's giving me all the info. What are you doing? It's like, I've got to go now. And then she gets a kick-ass fight scene. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we need you to get the big guy. And she's like, oh, no, I don't know. Don't you talk to Stark? It's like, no, we're talking about the big the guy. The big guy, yeah. Next thing you know, she's in Bombay or Calcutta or something meeting Dr. Banner and trying to recruit him. And you don't see him hulk out or anything, but the insinuation that he's got the monster in him and you don't want that Fury wants to recruit him Control. for the monster. Yeah. And he goes, no, we don't want the monster. We want the scientist. Yeah. Oh, okay. So she recruits him. Then you got Captain America is the man out of time, disenfranchised with the world because he's just doesn't understand he gets recruited oh and then Tony Stark Agent Coulson visits him with all the info saying we need your advice on some stuff so all the pieces are coming together so we get this moment on aircraft carrier that's when a few people meet and this is probably my first moment of awe for the film like it's been good for this point it's really enjoyable but there's a bit where it's like they're on the top of this aircraft carrier just walking around and they're sort of like oh you may want to get inside because it's going to get pretty hard to breathe and they're going this is secretly a submarine what are you talking about next thing you know all this stuff happens and these four helicopter big, blades yeah, four come out the side out. and the thing takes off it's a floating helicarrier and it's just like and it's a great scene. It just yeah. feels special. Like, you don't... I haven't had this in movies for ages. Like, Avatar was a great film. Like, visually and stuff like that. But I didn't have a moment like this. This was like, ah, oh, That was really exciting. I heard in the toy line they've actually released the Helicarrier as a, a playset to go that'd with the, the six-inch figures. That'd so be huge. It would be a massive playset. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so they, they start off so on you the get Helicarrier. these meetings. So it's always... As a comic fan, knowing that there's relationships for all these characters, seeing them again for the first time done so well is great. So you've got Captain America meeting Dr. Banner. That's great. Then Robert Downey turns up. Sorry, Tony Stark. Tony Stark. Same thing. Yeah. They turn up. So you get the byplay and banter between the two, or the three. And yeah. it's just like you're just setting up this thing and there's, they're antagonistic, they're, they're shielded. There are all these different things going on. You know, everyone's playing each other. They don't know each other yet you know they're not friends yeah so it's really good that there's this what's going on then loki attacks place in stuttgart so it's all right we've got to go capture him so captain america goes tries to capture him gets to a point where it's like oh and that and that's where iron man turns up yeah he sort of comes in bold and brass and bang and they end up capturing him and that's when they go to take him back to the shield helicarrier and that's when thor turns up to take his brother so he just kidnaps him off the off this airplane which is a cool moment yeah. like that's where thor gets his moments like boom you know you just see the thud and there he is standing on top of this airplane then it comes down he escapes iron man goes after him he's like i wouldn't do that fight they're gods and then he goes, yeah. right. he's off he's brash and then captain america's like Fuck it, I'm going to. <laughs> Grabs a parachute and jumps after them. So it starts off. Quite a good fight scene. It's a great fight scene. Thor. And this is where Joss Whedon's much better director than I thought because it was good direction. Like a lot of modern fight scenes now, like Transformers and Born Identities and stuff, the camera doesn't stop moving. Yeah, Michael Bay could really learn a thing or two from yeah. watching that fight scene. Because yeah. the, the camera's still still, and happening. you know exactly where everything's going. I mean, Spielberg's perfect for geography and film. Like, yeah. you know exactly where everything is in the scene of a film. And again, Joss did the same. Like, it was a great fight between Thor and Iron Man. And it's very typical comics. Whenever heroes meet for the first time, they fight. It's yeah. sort of a running gag that there's a misunderstanding. 
and they fight. So that's what happened. Thor and Iron Man got to go toe-to-toe, so you got your big action scene, and everyone got their win, and then Captain America turns up late, and then he sort of, like, gets his win, and then ends up with a stalemate, and then they all go back to the helicarrier with Loki in tow, and say, okay, more pieces are coming together, and then um, then the battle happens. Like, sort of, like, we get more and more plot, which is interesting, and you get this fantastic byplay. Yeah, and there's that one scene where, where Stark sort of first comes in and stands at the command post, and sort of looks around and goes, well, how do you see what's going on when you've only got one eye? And, you know, that, that guy playing Galaga. Play Galaga, which was, yeah, it was great. And just the fact that, yeah, they're all kind of niggling at each other. And it got to a point where there's a great scene where everyone's fighting and everyone's got a point, everyone's got an argument and they all make sense. That no one's wrong. Like, everyone's argument is correct. Yeah. And it's quite good that everyone's doing it and that's when they get attacked yeah. by, the, by the baddies. Attack and they blow up one of the foils, roaches, or whatever. Engines. Engines. So it's like, oh, shit, because, you know, Captain America and Iron Man are like, suit up and let's fight. Come on, suit up, yeah. suit up. Oh, let's and, do it, let's do it. And then, boom, blow up. Put your suit on. Okay. Um, and before that, the way they're sort of, they're baiting Banner, and it's like, well, you know, is the big guy going to come out? And he's like, no, I'm controlling it, I'm controlling it sort of thing. And then when he does first turn into the Hulk, that's such a great moment. Yeah, so Black Widow and Banner fall through a hole. Captain America and Iron Man go off to do something else. Fix the engine. And, yeah, the Hulk, he basically can't control it. The Hulk comes out and 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 she gets away just in time and he's chasing her. And it's the first time we see the Hulk in the movie and it's a great transformation. The special effects are much better than they were 10 years ago to now and they look great. But it's the first of many great Hulk moments in the movie. Yeah. But it's actually quite scary. Like it's intense because it's he's chasing her through this, you know, Air, aircraft carrier and stuff, yeah. and he's big. And like she climbs up some stairs, and he breaks them by standing on them and things yeah. like that. And she's like and he's just running being through nimble, and smashing things out of the and way. There's a great scene where she's running through a corridor. And he's too big for the corridor, but it's not slowing him down. And it's slow-mo. She's running for her life. And he's chasing after her. And he's just taking the walls out as he's running. And it's just intense. Like, and it's quite scary to watch. And it's like, that is awesome. And the scary, the thing is, the Hulk is a force of nature. Yeah. And you sort of got that feeling in this one scene where it's like, you are intense. So that was the first of the great Hulk moments. Yeah. And in the end, and then Thor comes in for the save on this. Yeah. So, and then you get the Thor-Hulk fight, which happens in comics quite a bit. And again, the heroes fight each other for the mistaken opportunity. So, so we've had Thor and Iron Man had their fight. Now we've got Thor, Thor and, Hulk. and Hulk have their fight, which is great. And that's when Hawkeye turns up again, but he's brainwashed. So you get Black Widow and Hawkeye have their fight. Iron Man gets to do his bit fixing the engines and Captain America's like fighting bad guys and trying to help. And so... All those bits are happening, yeah. which is great. And Loki and then, manages to escape from the uh, the prison cell that they've got set up for him. Yeah, so he set, sets it up. So then Thor gets ejected from the helicarrier. Hulk, they get off the yeah, they kind they of, get the Hulk off the helicarrier. He ends up somewhere else. So that they've all separated. What you've got left is Captain America and Iron Man and Black Widow, and that's it. And they've captured Hawkeye. Yeah. So that's all you got left. But in the process of Loki escaping. We lose one of our beloved actors in Agent Coulson, which I actually predicted on the day I was watching it going, Joss Whedon loves to kill off characters. It's what he does. Yeah. He did it in Serenity. He did it in Buffy. And it's just like, he's going to kill someone. And yeah. then I thought about it. It's like, well, he can't kill Captain America. He can't kill 
any of the big names. Yep. He can't kill Fury. The only one he can kill is Coulson because he's the only one who's not in the comics. And I thought about it on the day. I thought, he's going to do it. He's going to do what he did to Wash in Buddy Firefly. Yeah. And I said, oh, because Wash ended up with a big stake through his heart, essentially. And in Buddy Avengers, there he is. Agent Coulson with a big spike through his heart. I was yeah. like, oh, you did. I but, was hoping you wouldn't. But saying that, though, you never see that he actually does die. That's true. You see Nick Fury with him when he's like in his arms and he's dying. Mm. But you never really see Coulson's body after that. That's true. And the thing is, Nick Fury lies. Yes. So there is hope for Coulson fans out there. But yeah. as far as we know now, he's dead. But that was used as the impetus to get the team on track. Like everyone was sort of like they were a disenfranchised bunch of people. Now they made it personal and they got them together focused. And that was through Fury's manipulation after yep. all that. And that's when it's like, okay, basically once everything comes together, and it's like, okay, the Avengers are a team now. And they go and basically Loki brings well, Loki's, the big threat Yeah, so to Loki's got the portal and it the is, baddies all come flying into New York and start fucking shit up. And it's just the team comes together beautifully. Okay, so they're there. And just, I mean, the strangest part of plot, there's no good reason for it. Like, just when Banner turns up on the motorbike, it's like, how the fuck did he know to go there? Yeah. <laughs> put, 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 put. And then he turns up. But well, uh, see, that was one thing that I thought was, was probably the only bad point of the movie, was the fact that previously Hulk went nuts and Banner turned into the Hulk and he was uncontrollable. And then all of a sudden, when they assembled the team, he just turns the Hulk on and he's ready to go and he's not... Him, which is the next cool Hulk bit. Well, yeah, but he's not an uncontrollable monster again. He's in no, control of his faculties. The thing is, when the Hulk... Because you saw the bit, the strange scene where the Hulk has gone through the building roof and Harry Dean stands Harry Dean there stand, saying, yeah. Oh, you an alien? <laughs> You're <laughs> naked. Maybe uh, you should put on some pants, sort of thing. But he said, you know... You were in control of the flight, which is sort of a modern take on the Hulk comic because there was a bit where he was sent into space, blah, 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 all this storyline, and it was sort of like because he meant to have killed somebody. And the Hulk's been doing this Hulk smash for years, but he's never actually killed anyone, and then he was meant to kill anyone. Did he eat someone? No, that's in the Ultimates. Very different. (laughs) Yeah, so basically he's super genius. Yeah. Bruce Banner. And as a Hulk, he's still that super genius. And the way he sees things is algorithms. So... When he goes and destroys all this stuff, he does it in a way that he knows that if I break this here, that pylon is going to fall in that way and no one's going to get hurt. Yeah. He's done all these things. So that's been established in the comic over the last few years, that he sort of like can cause all this destruction and not hurt anyone. It's a nice PC of way making the Hulk not a murderer. So they sort of highlighted that with the Harry Dean Stanton character. Yeah. Like we're saying, oh, you controlled your fall. How did you know the building was had no one in it and all this sort of stuff? So yeah. it was an awareness there of the Hulk and that's the thing. In the situation early on the helicarrier when he hulked out, he didn't control that transformation. It was the stress of the situation that made him turn into the Hulk that he couldn't control. Later on when he turns up and that big flying creature is coming at it and he goes, that's the problem, I'm always angry. He just turned around and he, he controlled that, which means he's in control of the monster. It's only when the stress is outside of his control that the monster got out. Yeah. So this is a controlled monster at this point. Yeah. You know, so it, that's what I got from it. So, I mean, that's an awesome second moment of the Hulk when he turns, that's the thing, I'm always angry, punch. And yeah. it's just freaking, I'm punching the air yeah. in the cinemas. This is freaking awesome. And seeing it a second time, same same, same effect. It was it was great. And that's when Captain America gets his moment. Yeah. Because so it's sort of like, all right, you do this, you take the air, you will take the ground, and Hulk, smash. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like green, 
bang and then you get the third hog moment <laughs> where you know just jumps on the walls and the buildings and just smash 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 and the bit i really liked as well was when hawkeye and black widow and captain america are sort of like all right let, let's go let's do this sort of thing and they turn around to one of the policemen and they're like oh we need to start a perimeter and we need to do this and, and the policeman's kind of like well why should i listen to you sort of thing and then one of the aliens jumps down and captain america just smashes the crap out of him and the policeman turns around straight away basically what he said what he said yeah but they went from being like a collection of people to instantly being a cohesive team which is thanks to captain america which only now thinking back at the time when it first came out i thought he didn't really get the moments the other guys did yeah like tony stark got all the lines all the funny lines like early on where he's like poking dr banner and he's like oh i just wanted to see what happens sort of thing but yeah, so Captain America, I mean, he got some funny lines with the whole flying monkeys. I know that reference. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that he pulled the team together and saying, you take the skies, we'll take the ground, you do this, Hulk smash. You know, that was his, like, all right, I'm, he's not the strongest, he's not the this, he's just, he's the leader. That's what he does. So then you just got that full-on attack mode. Thor turns up, he's hitting things with his hammer and being yeah, the Thor lightning. Sort of went after his brother. But you got some great moments. And very Whedon again, you had that big flying creature leviathan thing and you saw how hard it was to beat like the whole cat to punch it square in the nose it was just too hard and what happens it's like release the rest so i was like oh fuck there's more there's you know more, yeah. and that's a very whedon thing like he did that in angel there was this one episode where there was this like spidery sort of creature that took them all episode to beat and it was hard and then nearly got them and it was just and at the end of the episode you're going oh fuck we did it yeah. And then the end of the episode, they go through a portal and there's a fucking landscape of these fucking creatures ready to attack. And it's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. You know, he does that. He builds up the how hard something is to beat and then gives you more of it. And you're going, oh, shit. And that's great writing in the hymn that he knows how he writes his way out of it. Yeah. So there's some great moments. And Hulk moment number four, are we up to? Yeah. Leviathan's sort of flying past one of the office buildings. And the next thing you know, is just the broken glass sound, like Stone Cold Steve Austin style. And then there's it's a running Hulk at full bolt, just running through the office. Through the building, through the jumping, building on and the... jumping on it. Yeah. Like, oh. And it was just his use of the Hulk sparingly, but awesomely. Love those moments. Yeah. And obviously... And then you, you get that final Hulk moment where yeah, Loki's Loki sort of had the crap kicked out of him, but he's like, you know, you can't beat me because I'm a god. And then just out of nowhere, you see this like big green fist just grab him and slam him into the ground. Repeatedly. Repeatedly, yes. Pause. Keep going. <laughs> Puny god. Yeah. So it's Hulk moment number five. And then Hulk moment number six is at the end when, uh, you know, he catches Tony well, when yeah. Iron Man comes Tony flying makes through. Tony a big save and closes the portal and then... And he's passed out or cold on the ground. They don't know if he's dead or alive and they're trying to wake him up but the Hulk's just... Oh! <laughs> wakes up. And he wakes up. <laughs> Tony Stark has that great line. He's like, oh, you didn't give me mouth to mouth. No one kissed me, did kiss they? Me right so he, he just... Joss Whedon just managed to wrap the movie up so well it's like and I mean Hawkeye's there go with the bow and arrow he made him cool and he had his how cool was his quiver the fact that it was kind of like well what are they going to do sort of thing well they justified it a bit because in the comics he's got these trick arrows and it's like how does he know what's what does he just go and reach back and he's got I mean back in the early days I mean Green Arrow had like a boxing glove one and all these stupid trick ones and it's just hard to do, but they actually did a good job of it. Yeah, well, they had just that uh, the one set of arrows with just different arrowheads for different things. 
And I did like the fact that at one stage he ran out of arrows and he was like pulling the arrows back out of the people he'd already shot. Yep, so that was that was good and Scarlett Johansson got to do a bit. Yeah, like I didn't think she was going to be that important. But what they did, I mean she did well, she held her own in the fights and she pretty much saved the day in the end by getting up to the top and took over one of the flying ships, got up the top and stopped the machine. But her best moment, as far as, I mean she had the fight scene at the start which was great yep. and the interrogation when she's tied up in the chair and she had them all. She won. She, she was in total control of that situation, which was awesome. Watching the interrogation scene of Loki when she's talking to him, yeah. I actually was getting angry watching it because I thought, oh, what are you doing, Joss? Because Black Widow's meant to be a cold, heartless bitch. She has no emotions. She's an efficient machine, essentially. Yeah. And she's there talking, and he's getting under her skin like Hannibal Lecter, and I was like, no, this is not Black Widow. Joss, what are you doing? You're ruining it. And then when he turns around and says, you were the one who bought the monster... And she's like, oh, that's what you wanted, okay. And it's like, you played him the whole time. That is freaking exactly. awesome. Yeah. And it's just like, it's so much a better movie than we deserve. For the subject matter of what it is and the source material that it was based on, it is bloody amazing. It was just really encapsulated everything and it just wrapped up nicely. It was like at one stage they were struggling and then Iron Man flew up and closed the portal and stopped the flow of aliens coming down just at that right moment. I mean, but yeah, that whole last... I mean, as much as I like the final 40 minutes of Transformers 3, it's a huge battle, but this is so much better. Like, it's it's filmed better. Everyone has their moments And the effects better. were better. It's like everything felt real. In the Transformers movies, like, the fight where Optimus and Megatron's fighting in even the first Transformers movie, and they're sort of rolling around and smashing into buildings, it just doesn't feel oh, this real. This is good six, seven years well, on, true. so the special effects are better. Yeah. But have you seen Transformers 3? Mm, yes, but I think I fell asleep. Okay, because the last 40 <laughs> minutes of that is pretty amazing. Like, you look at that movie, it's, a, it's an expensive last 40 minutes. Yeah. So you can compare the two movies quite comparably. That makes sense. Between the two, because it is all about the destruction of the city in this big fuck-off battle. And Joss is cleaner. It's not. It's further out, so you're seeing what's going on. Where the problem is, Transformers, the camera moves way too much and yeah. you're way too close. And the other thing with Transformers is they look too similar. Oh, that, yes. The fight between Megatron and Optimus Prime, when they're rolling around and punching and stuff, you can't really tell who's who. Whereas this, the Avengers are there in their flashy uniforms, and you can tell who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Yep. Um, so very smart of Joss as well. I mean, he got a faceless foes like they're yep. stronger than humans so there's someone for everyone to beat and punch and all that sort of stuff so you, you couldn't just have them against normal humans because no. they're too kick ass so you had to superpower them but they had to be there's lots of them yeah so you're going around they're just beating the shit out of a lot of people a lot of the big bads and that that's perfect really well plotted it's just going back to the other movies like i said it's sort of like so small fry compared to this big climax of this movie but you can't keep doing it so for avengers 2 which they're definitely going to make the amount of money they made now, they're definitely going to make an Avengers 2. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? That's why I'm hoping Joss Whedon's back, because I think yeah. he, could, he could do it. Well, there was that uh, mid-credit teaser that they showed. Which I'm, conf well, I'm not confused about. It's like, it's Thanos. Yeah, I was confused, because at first I thought it was Red Hulk, and then when you told me it was Thanos, I was like, of course it's Thanos. He's got the lines in his chin. But the thing is, Thanos is the mad tight. He wants the Affinity Gauntlet. And he wants, he's in love with the personification of death. Like, there is a character who is death, who's a woman, and he's in love with. And that's why it says, by attacking the humans, it will bring death. And that's when he gets a smile on his face. It's yeah. like, well, 
okay. And they did it's briefly a... show the Infinity Gauntlet in Thor when they're in the trophy room. No, it's a deleted scene. It oh, never actually it? made it to the final cut. So are they bringing the Infinity Gauntlet in, which is a gauntlet of power which has housings for five gems? But we'd Infinity know that if gems. you've played Marvel Superhero Squad Infinity Gauntlet you game. would know that. So the thing is, maybe the next round of movies... There'll be a gem in each movie. Maybe. That will be the teaser to bring up to the Avengers 2 is have the Infinity Gauntlet, which is getting very big and cosmic, but they've set the tone for cosmic yeah. with this film. So well, they, they set the tone for Thor with the True. multiple True. universe planes and stuff. Midgard and Asgard. Yeah, yeah. Well, Thor 2 is coming That's before the next, one, the next I Avengers, think. isn't it? Yes, Thor yeah. 2 is, I think, going into production very shortly. So it, it, I'm just wondering if they're going to do the Infinity Gauntlet storyline and have it a gem in each film leading up to an Avengers 2. But the thing is, what worked well about this movie was everyone had someone to punch and lots of people to punch. Exactly. The Thanos character is a big, nigh-invulnerable being of omnipotent power. What's Captain America going to do with him? Is it like if is it all of them attacking this one big guy with you know reality-altering powers? It's, it's going to be strange. Like I, I believe Joss can do it, but I think you need your minions to punch as well. But yeah. It will be the Hulk again. Yeah. <laughs> And if they do Hulk as well as they did in this movie. Well, that's the thing. Everyone's asking for a Hulk movie again as much as I want to see that too. The more I'm realising is that maybe it's because he was used sparingly. That's what made him work. Yeah. Seeing a Hulk movie, him doing those sort of things again, How? when are we going to get bored of him doing that? Probably never, actually, because exactly. it's fun. But to make a movie on the Hulk again, doing what he does now, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd rather see him done well than just done because he's popular at the moment. I will be seeing it again. I liked it that much. I, I want to see it again. I don't know if I can justify another night away from the kids. I probably can. It's it's worth it. Yeah, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. We've, I think so. We've discussed quite a bit of the movie. So if you haven't seen it, definitely, you probably wouldn't have got this far into the podcast. But if you have seen it, go and see it again. I'm sure there's bits you've missed. I don't know. I mean, because I saw it that second time, there was nothing I got out of it that I didn't get the first time except the fact that it's still a shitload of fun it's just a quick film as enjoyable the second time it's not like oh, I've got to sit through that scene again there was nothing bad it was just like yeah it's all good but there's nothing I picked up on saying oh I didn't notice that the first time so what would you say 10 out of 10 closest I'm going to get to one and what's next on the horizon we've got Batman and Spider-Man and it's funny I was like really hyped for Batman I'm not anymore. And now I'm not anymore. It's no, after like... that was my feeling walking out of Avengers, apart from that being cool, it's like, I'm not really looking forward to Batman now because it's too damn serious. Exactly. I mean, like the Joker said, why so serious? Like, this was so much fun and so funny. I'm going to come away with that and it's just going to be so bloody dark and brooding and crawling up its own ass. Well, I hope I'm wrong. A lot of people probably weren't expecting Avengers to be as funny as it was. No, I, I'm, I know of some people who actually thought it was too funny. Like, damn you, Joss Whedon and your humour, why? Yeah. You know, it's like, I thought it was great. And he thought that there were too many bad lines for Robert Downey. I thought he was great. But that's, I mean, I loved him. I, I liked Iron Man too, and not many people like that. Yeah. And it's basically purely on the charisma of Robert Downey himself that carried Iron Man 2 through. Alrighty, well, thanks for listening. And, yeah, we'll see you next episode. Catch it. Uh, uh. I gotta go, gotta go, before I do something stupid. I gotta go, I gotta go, gotta go, before I do something lame. If you have any feedback for the show, you can reach us on Twitter at VMA Podcast, or you can send us an email to vmapodcast at gmail.com. Look for us on iTunes as the Massive Attack Podcast, or look at our website, which is vmapodcast.podbean.com. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.